what can we do about burnout? What is the relationship between your time, your finances and your happiness? Do you even know where your time or your money goes? How can you learn to say no and how will saying no improve your happiness and your finances? So on today's podcast, we are joined by a very special guest who's going to cover this and more. And I found this episode so useful and I've got a whole page of notes of things that I can improve upon and hopefully you will too. Now we also have a free webinar with today's guests and that is happening at 7.30 on the 20th of January and I've put the link for that in the description below. So we haven't done a live webinar for absolutely ages because we've been busy doing other projects but we really wanted to be able to answer your questions and help you uh, manage your time and your money better. So do check out that webinar at 7.30 on the 20th of January. Hope to see as many of you as possible there. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. As ever, this podcast is for entertainment only and does not represent any form of financial, legal or accounting advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So it's my absolute pleasure to welcome to the Medics Money podcast, Dr. Rachel Morris. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Tommy. Thanks so much for having me. It's so great to be joined by a fellow podcaster. For those of our listeners who aren't aware of you, do you want to just introduce yourselves and tell our listeners a bit about you? Yes, so I'm Rachel. I'm a former GP, worked in the NHS for 20 years. Uh, I taught for a long time at Cambridge University. I taught general practice and professionalism. So that's all the sort of other stuff about being a good doctor, like teamwork and resilience and leadership and all those sorts of things. I... um, co-authored and delivered the Red Whale Lead Manage Thrive course for a long time and worked as Director of Leadership Studies for Red Whale. And I have set up my own organisation, helping doctors and other professionals in high-stress jobs beat burnout and work happier. So we do training and coaching and courses and memberships and all those sorts of things. And yes, I also host the You Are Not A Frog podcast, which you, you have been an esteemed guest on, I think. Yeah, I was super happy to be a guest on that. And um, I think the reason I wanted you to come on our podcast today is because we had a super interesting discussion on the podcast about the link between time, happiness, money and resilience. So, and, and, you know, I think, you know, some people can get that balance wrong. Do you know, do you have any thoughts on why and what people can do to improve that? Oh, that is a very big question. And It's interesting because when I first started, we're going to rewind a little bit. When I first started my training business, when I wanted to do something a little bit different, I thought, well, what can I do? I'm a GP. I'm a coach. I know about well-being. I know I'll go into organizations and teach people about well-being, which was fine. And I quite enjoyed it. But then I noticed a bit of a pattern. People were saying, well, we sort of know what to do. Problem is, we just don't have any time or headspace in which to do it. And, you know, organisations like to put on a lot of well-being stuff and we provide lots of well-being resources. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. It's just that if you are asking 
busy, stressed out professionals like doctors to add yet another task into their day that's going to take time. They just don't do it because they are so busy doing the day job that it's just a bridge too far. So in order to up people's well-being and help their resilience, actually, you have to start with time. You have to start with creating space in your life, because until you do that, how are you going to fit your exercise in? How are you going to connect with the friends and the people that re-energize you? So I started to realize that time was the, the biggest barrier to well-being and time Poverty or the feeling of a lack of time is one of the biggest causes of stress and burnout, I think, that I've seen amongst doctors, particularly, and other healthcare professionals. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about, um, you know, wellness initiatives and and time. I've seen uh, a trust who put on some yoga sessions and they were at three till four in an afternoon. Now, any doctor, three till four, you know, you're, <laughs> I'd love to finish doing all the ward jobs and be ready for a yoga session at three to four. And I would definitely feel more resilient if I could make it, but you're just not going to make it. So, you know, give, give us some tips on, you know, where, where does all of our time go and how can we get some of it back so that we can, uh, you know, reduce our stress and reduce burnout? So I think it's quite interesting when you look at where our time goes, because if you ask me this weekend, what I did, I don't think I'd be able to tell you. I spent quite a lot of time hanging around the house, not really doing very much, yet I felt that I was too busy to have got half of the jobs that I wanted to done. And when you get people to keep time diaries, yes, the job takes up a lot of time. Yes, particularly if you're working in general practice now, there's a huge amount of admin paperwork on top of seeing the patients, and then you've got to do your CPD, et cetera, et cetera. But it's interesting because we don't manage our attention very well. And so I guess to give ourselves a bit of a break or whatever, we spend quite a lot of time maybe checking emails or looking at social media, going down some of the infinity pools that are on social media. You know, everyone's got their thing. It might be Twitter. It might be Facebook. It might be the news websites and things like that. It might be online chess. But we sort of fritter away these tiny bits of time. And so we get very disjointed in, in, in the tasks that we're doing and how we're spending our time. And we end up getting what's called time confetti, or someone in a book described it as time confetti, doing lots of things, lots of tasks in very small, tiny chunks, which mean that we don't ever feel like we've spent a huge amount of time doing one specific task. And we feel that we've frittered it away. We feel we haven't been very productive and we feel that we've got no time at all. Actually, we have had time, but what, what's happened is that our tension and our focus has gone. We, we've sort of frittered it away. And so we haven't done that really focused, good, deep work that we wanted to do. So that's one way that our time just goes. I think we spend a lot of time, um, obviously, at work, commuting to work, a lot of time in meetings. We probably spend a lot of time on things that aren't particularly important, that are coming up as urgent, that, that, that people are shouting for. And so we feel that that's what we need, we need to focus on. And if you spend a day just firefighting urgent stuff, you feel very busy, you feel very overwhelmed, and you don't feel that you've used your time particularly productively. But I think it's interesting 
I do think we make time for things that we really want to do. So I'll tell you a, a story. Uh, a few months ago, I was going away on a cycling weekend with a friend of mine and she'd just got this beautiful brand new bike. And I went to pick it up from her and we shoved it in the boot of my car and I drove home because I was going to take her bike out, put it on the roof with my bike. And then we were going to go off that evening. As I pulled her bike out of the car, the derailleur got caught on something and it sheared off. So this brand new bike, I've completely wrecked it. And it's my friend's pride and joy. Panic. It's four hours till we go. I've got a shed load of stuff to do. Lots and lots of work. But I think I've got I've got to fix this bike. So what I do, I ring around every single bike shop in Cambridge. I go and I sit in a bike shop for two hours while they fix this bike. And then we get off on our weekend. We have a fantastic weekend. Now, if you'd asked me that morning, Rachel, do you have time to spend four hours on fixing that bike? No way. I'd have said, sorry, I just need to, don't, I just can't. But actually, in reality, things shifted. I got stuff done at other times and I did do it because it was really important to me. So we do make time for things that are important. But I think what we need to do is be a lot more intentional about actually scheduling that time in for the things that are important. So we don't just fritter our time away with this time confetti. So that's, I think, what, what, what happens to our time. And this feeling of time poverty, I think, is really dangerous. because so I think it causes us all sorts of problems in our lives. So first of all, it causes quite a lot of stress. So I don't know about you, but... If you've got loads of stuff to do and you know you can't quite fit it in, how does that make you feel? Yeah, that's where, where it starts, isn't it? You know, it's I got to squeeze something in. And what for me, a big stressful thing is when I got to pick the kids up. Um, you know, I, I never want to be that parent who's late to pick the kids up. And I'm in clinic and, you know, I'm seeing my last patient. I'm overrunning. This last patient comes in with three problems. All of them are urgent. It's one of the most stressful things for me because the thought of being late to pick my kids up is, is a real, you know, big stressor for me. Um, so, yeah. I, I still remember that feeling. Luckily, my children all cycle themselves to school and it is so nice not having to be somewhere at 3.15 for the school run. But I still remember that stress and I remember actually behaving really quite badly with a patient when I had a, a deadline for a child pickup. In fact, what happened is my childminder phoned me. I was on call, it was five to six, and she phoned me and said, can you come and get your daughter? I've got to take another one to hospital. And so I was trying to pack away and then Surprise, surprise, what happens at two minutes to six, urgent visit phones in. It was a lady who's um, lived with her mother. Her mum had been really poorly when she woke up. So the lady went off to work, came home at half past five and surprise, surprise, her mum was even worse. And so, of course, she gets on the phone. She phones the GP for an urgent visit. So what do I do? I get on the phone and I say, well, what are you doing phoning at this time? And, and how dare you phone when you're, you know, how dare you go to work when your mum was really poorly? What am I supposed to do now? And at that point, I really, really wasn't the doctor that I wanted to be. But I couldn't think straight. And I was thinking purely out of my fight, flight or freeze response, out of my amygdala response, which I, I talk a lot about. I won't go into that now. But essentially, when we're in that stress zone in fight, flight or freeze, blood gets diverted from our prefrontal cortex, our rational human thinking bit to the rest of your body, your decisions are very black and white and you often do things that you regret. So I can imagine, Tommy, you probably weren't you're perhaps at your best with that with that patient when you're thinking, oh no, I'm I'm really late now. I need to get I need to get away. 
Yeah, I think uh, it's about having an awareness of that you're going to underperform in that kind of situation. So as I said, the patient had three problems. I was just up front with them and I was like, look, I'm going to do this problem because that needs doing today and you're going to come back another day to do this problem. But in the past, I've definitely tried to cram just the endless cramming more stuff in. And that I think is, as you say, a massive contributor to doctors and other professionals feeling burnt out. I suppose what we're circling around here, and I'm really interested in your answer to this question. There's so many demands on our time. As you said, everything is urgent. And if everything's urgent, nothing's urgent. So at some point, um, we're going to have to say no to something. And I am absolutely terrible at saying no, both at work uh, as a doctor, because it's someone's health. And I'm also fairly bad at saying no when running Medics Money, because I just want to help the most amount of people that is possible. So how personal question, how can I say no? Right, that is the $100,000 million question. Everybody wants to know this. It's pretty much the question people ask when they come on the training course is how do I say no? And I think for this, we need to circle back to that amygdala response I told you about. Because once you understand the neuroscience, you understand how you can change things. So the amygdala, very important bit of our brains, it's kept us safe throughout millions of years. It has meant that we haven't been eaten by tigers. Essentially, we can spot when a physical threat is happening. We can spot a hierarchical threat. So is the alpha male about to challenge you? But the other type of threat that our amygdala has picked up over thousands of years we've evolved for this to happen is the group threat. Because when we were living in caves, if the group didn't like us, they would chuck us out and we would probably die of exposure or be eaten by a bear or both. So this threat of people not liking us is a really real, real threat. It's an actually an existential threat. So we will have the same reaction to a difficult email or a difficult conversation as we do as if we were just about to be run over by a bus. So saying no is one of those things that we dread because A, we don't want to upset someone. We don't want them to think badly of us. So that's the group threat. But also the amygdala is quite an interesting thing. It doesn't just try and go away from threats. It actually seeks out belonging. So that's I think really good as human beings, we want to belong to the tribe. We want to be part of, of the gang. We want to help people because that will, I guess it will strengthen the tribe. It will, it brings us really nice feelings. So it's a good thing that we don't want to say no. However, and I think this is a, a truth that we all need to get. We will not be able to do 99.999% of the things that we want to do in life. And there's a fantastic book by Oliver Berkman called 4,000 Weeks, which I just read. I'm recommending to everybody. 4,000 weeks is give or take is pretty much the time that you have on this planet. And so you're going to miss out on most of the experiences the world has to offer. You are not going to go to most of the countries in the world. You are not going to get to know most of the people in the world. You are not going to be able to do most things that you, that you could do because you only have 24 hours in the day. So I think firstly, there's this realisation that we can't possibly do everything we're going to be asked to do. And that is OK. The second thing is when someone does ask us, what do we then do? 
And for here, I think it's quite helpful to go back to the neuroscience. So you know how I said we go into our fight, flight or freeze mode when the amygdala fires up? That's what happened to me with that, with that patient, meaning that I didn't make good decisions and I was very rude on the phone. By the way, <laughs> story has a happy ending. I did ring her up. I, well, I went to visit her. I apologised. We admitted the lady to hospital and it's all, it, it was all okay. I was wondering about that. Um, so it's got a happy ending. Yeah, totally happy ending. So, um, but I do look back on that and and think about other times at work when I was stressed, when when I was under time pressure, when I didn't behave in the way that I wanted to behave. And probably, if you look back at all the times at work where you're not that proud of yourself, it's probably because there was a time pressure going on or there was some other stress. Anyway, let's go back. You're in that point where someone's asked you something and you're thinking. I don't really want to do that or I can't do that. But you're having a reaction because your amygdala's going, well, there's a threat here because I might upset someone. That's a group threat. There might be a problem. You go into your fight, flight or freeze zone where you don't react particularly badly. Now, Professor Steve Peters has written a very good book called The Chimp Paradox. And he calls this reaction that we have, the amygdala reaction, our inner chimp. And you can't stop this reaction from happening because it's hardwired into us. And the amygdala reacts five times quicker than the rest of your human thinking brain. Okay, because it's this ancient emotional limbic system. So you have this reaction, this chimp reaction, where you might not be behaving very well, where you're feeling very, very stressed. So how do you how do you then manage it? Well, first of all, recognize when you're having it. So what you said about that self-awareness, like recognizing with that patient of, you know what? I can only cope with one thing right now. Otherwise, I'm probably going to make a bad decision. It's really, really important. So recognizing what happens in you, like, do you, do you feel very hot? Do you feel your heart racing? Do you feel you've got to do something very quickly? Those are all good signs that you're having that immediate reaction. Then you need to take a pause, literally buy yourself some time. So when someone asks you to do something and you, you don't really want to, or you're not sure, your first thing should be, thank you. That's really interesting. Can I get back to you? Can I check my diary? I need to have a little think about that. Sounds interesting, but I'll get back to you. And you can use that in all sorts of situations. So meetings, if you're being forced to make a quick decision, I need to think about that. I need to get back to you. If you've got a difficult patient who's being rude to you, say, I need to, if they're on the phone, I just need to check something out and I'll phone you back. Or I need to get a second opinion. If they're in the room, Go say, I just need to check something. I've got something to do. Get yourself out of there. Give yourself that pause. Some people I know actually print out a picture of pause button, put it on their computer and just literally take a few minutes and press that pause button. You can do mindful breathing, a few grounded breaths, counting to 10. It's really important because we don't make good decisions when we're in that stress zone. And we're likely to say yes, just to please people and to avoid that un uncomfortableness. And then we'll be really hacked off with ourselves down the line because we've then overloaded ourselves with too much work. So the pause button is your friend. Once you've taken that pause button, check the story in your head. So typically, Tommy, when someone asks you to do something, when you're having that reaction, what are the stories in your head that you're telling yourself that's causing you to feel a bit stressed? Yeah, I mean, in the example that I gave, it's just the fear of letting my kids down by being late to pick them up and then yeah i mean that's just a real trigger for me for stress um so yeah that's what's going on in my head is i'm basically in a blind panic thinking how many minutes is it to get the kids versus how many minutes can i squeeze this into 
Um, and then, yeah, you just get in that horrible spiral that you described, but I love that idea of taking a break. So tell us a bit more about the next steps. You've, you've put the port, you've hit the pause button. Yeah. So the next step is story in your head. So that story that you've just told me, um, is I'm going to be late for my children. I don't want to be that dad. I should never be late for my children. If I am, it means I'm a terrible father. They will be distraught, all those sorts of things. You might also be telling yourself, I ought to, to deal with this patient uh, with all their problems because what sort of a doctor am I if I do that? How have I got myself into this situation? All these things that are going in our head causing us the stress. And then the question that once you've examined those stories, you then ask yourself, what's actually true right now? And I guess the truth in that situation with your picking up your children is I would really, I really don't want to be late for them. But if I am, doesn't mean I'm a dreadful father. They're somewhere safe. It's not ideal, but it's not going to be the end of the world. Or a story could be, I really need to go. So unfortunately, I'm going to ask one of my colleagues to see that patient. And that, and I cho I'm choosing to do that so that I can be with my kids. Now, all of these are not things that we would have chosen to happen, but this is happening, right? So what can you do about it? And then what I would say is you would then use your zone of power, think, what can I control about this situation to think, what should I do about this next time? And I would suggest leaving a bigger buffer between your surgery and getting your children. So maybe starting the surgery earlier, doing paperwork later because so, you know you can interrupt admin and, 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 and pop out. So what is it that you can change in your life and the way that you work to mean this situation isn't going to be occurring again? And I think once you've got these new stories of, you know, what's actually true. So if you're thinking about saying no to somebody, often the story in your head is, I ought to say yes. Nobody else can help them. I'm letting them down. <clears throat> actually, what's the truth? The truth is you probably don't have time that there are other people that, that could help, that you're not a bad person if you say no. And once you've got those stories, you find that you know how to respond. You can go to them and say, I'm really sorry. I would absolutely love to help. Um, I can't do it this time, but how about you, you try this instead? And you're, you're much calmer. You're not making excuses. You're just, you're just saying. And also, side note, when you are saying no to people, don't explain too much. Because the more you explain, the more it sounds like you're just trying to get out of it and make excuses. So if someone asks you to do something on a particular day and you can't do it, rather than saying, well, I'm really sorry because I've, I've got to walk the dog and I've got an exercise class that I really don't want to miss. And, and then I'm, I've got a drink with someone. Just say, I'm really sorry, I can't do it that evening. Full stop. Move on. Does that make any sense? No, it, it makes so much sense because a lot of productivity gurus, not that I'm lumping you in that crowd, uh, their answer to that question would be like, instead of getting up at 6 a.m., get up at 4.30, go to the gym, just cram more in. Uh, don't use a to-do list, do use a to-do list. And, and I've never found any of that nonsense to help. Uh, and what you've just said, it, it just makes so much sense. And I think, you know, there's so much in there for everyone. And, and I kind of started to do that what you said. So I realized that this problem was happening more often than not. So I brought my clinical work forward and then I did my admin 
as you as you said in the after that but um that was a bit naughty though because then sometimes i do admin at home and i think that is a terrible thing to do because it's breaking the boundary between home where hopefully not too much work happens and work where crazy amounts of work happen i don't know what you think about that and that could kind of lead into talking about um what doctors what you know the doctors that you work with and help what do they often get wrong about time and how can other doctors learn from their mistakes let's start with that thing about i'll be a terrible person if i take my admin home so you've already told me that you think you'd be a terrible father if you're late for your kids right it's more that i'd be partly scared of uh, the kids reaction but mostly scared of my wife's reaction okay (laughs) You're going to be for it if you if you if you're late for the kids. So you've made a choice, right? You've decided that, and this is the difference between power language and fear language. So fear language is, I ought to, I should, you know, it's going to be awful. You know, I I should get there on time, and I shouldn't do admin at home because that means I'm a a bad dad. But what if you change that, saying I'm choosing to finish early that day? so that I can be there for my kids and be present and not be stressed. And in order to do that, I'm choosing to spend two hours at home doing admin. Boom. Rather than I shouldn't, I shouldn't do admin at home because that means I've got my boundaries wrong. That's that's not, that's not true. You, You might, you might be someone that really doesn't want to do that. And that's totally fine. Go back to your surgery and do it. Yep. But you've stayed in your zone of power. You've made that choice for a reason. You're not doing admin at home because you've got blurred boundaries. You're doing admin at home because it means that you can be on time for your children. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think, uh, as I said, a lot of productivity gurus set hard boundaries. Like you cannot ever use a to-do list. It's the worst thing ever. And personally, I find it kind of useful when I do use a to-do list. So I like what you're saying there is, you know, get in the zone of power and, and, and you know, justify it in the in the way that you have so um yeah my work computer is just on the shelf over there and i'll try not to fire it up today um okay so you know um you've got uh, lots of ways that you can help uh, doctors and you've got this amazing course and we have just recorded uh, a module together talking about the relationship between money and time. And I think this is something which is massively underexplored, uh, hence we recorded the module on it. So should we talk a bit about the relationship between money and time? Because, you know, m- money is a factor. Everybody needs money to live. And in order to get money, you can, can exchange units of your time for money. So let's talk about that for a bit. And you asked me earlier what, what doctors get wrong about time. And I think this is one of the major things that that we get wrong. I think we value money much more highly than we value our time. And I know you've done some some clever workings out and put and put some figures on it. And I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Before we talk about that, I think there's quite an interesting model that has really helped me think about time, money, happiness. So many of us spend a lot of time at work in order to earn the money so that we can have really nice holidays, nice cars, send our kids to the private schools, um, retire well, save up for the future. And what we're doing is impacting our present for the sake of the future. 
So this has been described as a hamburger model. And there's a book called um, Happier by Tel Ben-Shahar, which I love this model. So he talks about a two by two diagram. You've got two axes. One axis is future gain and what one axis is present gain. So he likens what we do with our money and our time with a bit like eating hamburger and fries. So if you can imagine that you're really hungry and you think, what do I want? What do I want to eat now? Hamburger and fries. So you eat it and it's just at the time, brilliant. And then afterwards you think, I feel sick. What have I done? So you've done something for present benefit with zero future gain, right? That is probably net zero for my health. Now let's, let's flip that. I could, now I've been on a bit of a fitness drive recently. I have been eating quite a lot of cauliflower rice. Now I don't know if you've come across cauliflower rice. I love cauliflower. I don't particularly like cauliflower rice. It's soggy. It's not the same thing. And so if I ate a meal and I was really hungry, which consisted of cauliflower rice and just a few bits of spinach, then probably that'd be really good for me. There's a lot of future gain there. I wouldn't really enjoy it at the time. So that's doing stuff just purely for future gain and not actually thinking about my enjoyment of the moment. Now, both of those, both of those things are wrong, or not wrong, are un, I guess unhelpful because either you're just... I guess, spending all your money, using all your time on things that make you feel good now, but actually there's no benefit to them. Or you're not enjoying life now and everything you do, saving up, working really, really hard. And it could be for a career progression, not just for earning lots of money. It could be for status. It could be for all these different reasons, but that's for the future. Actually, you're having a miserable time now. Well, that's not good either. What you want to be doing is getting into that um, quadrant. When I went to the most fantastic vegan restaurant near King's Cross the other day, you know, the food was amazing. I really loved it. And I knew it was pretty good for me as well. You need to be in that quadrant where you are choosing to spend your time or spend your money on things that give you pleasure now and will be good for you in the future. And I think that's where we get things wrong. We maybe overvalue money for saving up and we don't value our time, or maybe we just fritter away all our money, which then means we are restricted for our options in the future. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. I mean, in the bonus module, we talk about spending consciously and not unconsciously, which is basically exactly what you've just said. You know, conscious spending is spending money on things that you enjoy and add value to your life. Unconscious spending is, as it says, money that you don't may not even realize that you spend and you might get you might be earning a lot of money and you still get to the end of the month and your bank account is empty and you're like, where has it all gone? And I've been working super hard and I don't have any money. Uh, and so we talk about that um, quite a lot because that's a personal crusade of ours at Medics Money. And I think it it does link intimately with time because, as I said, most of us are exchanging our time for money. And if you're going to do that, you've got to be sure that uh, you're doing it the right way. So, um, yeah, that was so useful. And I think you just everyone's had a glimpse of of what you do here, really, in terms of, you know, giving really practical solutions to uh, problems that we all face. I mean, if you were to say just a few quick tips that all doctors could do to improve their, you know, their well-being and hopefully reduce burnout, which is really a big problem in the NHS right now, what would they be? So I think 
my quick tips, <laughs> anything quick from me is not really very quick, but first one is put the big rocks in first. So I know this is quite an over, overused analogy, but essentially you get a big glass jar and you put some big rocks in and the big rocks represent the things that are really important to you, like your family, perhaps your relationships, um, could be work, could be something outside of work, it could be a hobby, but you, you get those in first. Then you add some, some pebbles around it, which could represent, you know, various relationships with friends or some uh, exercise or something like that. And then you put some grit and sand and then finally you can fill it up with a pint of beer and it all fits. You take it all out again. If you start in the jar with putting the sand in first and then you put the grit in and then you put the pebbles and then you put the big rocks, you'll find the big rocks don't fit. So I would always say, get those in first and schedule them into your diary. Um, because I know you said earlier, you, you know, people say you shouldn't have to-do lists at all and the productivity gurus say you shouldn't have to-do lists. I would, if I didn't have a to-do list, I would be so stressed because there'd be all this stuff I needed to do that I was trying to remember. Same. <laughs> so I would say have a to-do list, but there's a um, method called time blocking, which I think is really important. So if you have tasks that you want to do, as well as your to-do list, actually schedule them in your diary. Block off the time you think they're going to take. And side note, it always takes double the time you think it's going to take. So block those off in the diary put those big rocks in block off date night block off i've just blocked off a day with with one of my daughters in the school holidays because i know if i don't block that off work is going to creep in and I'll, I'll end up not spending any time with her so get that stuff in first and then get stuff around it now lots of people don't actually know what they spend their time on and <clears throat> another tip i've got is to actually work out what your week looks like and we have a tool that might be quite useful for this called the thrive week planner we'll give you the link to put in the show notes so people can download that um i developed this because i was i was coaching somebody it was a gp said to me i just want to have a day off why can't i have a day off i have no time in my life i said great well let's have a look at what you're doing during the week and we got a a, a chart of the week and we mapped out what he did in that week now he was a a six session partner, but we all know that doesn't, that's not three days work, is it? It's like four and a half days, five days work. So we put in how much time that was actually taking. He also had another a job, which was a day long. So we put that in as well. He was also doing other bits and pieces like running a committee and doing some appraisals. We put that in, we put the uh, admin that he had in as well. And so we did that and we looked at we looked at this week and I said, so what do you notice? And he said, it appears I'm working about 13 sessions. So no wonder I'm not getting a, a day off. So what we did was then we looked at another grid of another blank week. I said, what would a week look like in which you felt you could really thrive, in which you felt you had the time and space to do what you wanted to do and to get your big rocks in there first? So he did that. And we then just compared the two and it was really obvious that there were a few things that he needed just just to say no to and I think GPs and 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 hospital doctors are really bad for taking on extra roles and just absorbing them into their working week without actually thinking how much time is this going to take me and making sure they have that time free so you're, you're doing stuff off the side of your desk over a lunchtime again that just adds to your feeling of stress and overwhelm and 
and you won't be giving a very good service to the person that you said you would do that thing for. So you need to say no to a lot more. You probably need to shed a few different roles in order that you can focus on what really matters and what is really important. But until you actually know what's going on and what that looks like, it's very difficult to do. So the Thrive Week Planner tool has got a couple of blank charts you can fill in and some questions to, to guide you along the way. I absolutely love that. I've got a whole page full of notes for, for myself here about things that I'm going to do. So I kind of do a bit of big rocks myself um, in the sense that I prioritize important things, but then I try to cram in uh, lots of little rocks and the sand and everything. So I think that's really good. And, you know, the thing that I notice about doctors is that, you know, if a patient comes to you with a symptom like headache or something, you ask them to do a headache diary, right? And then you can line it up and it all makes sense once you've written it down and looked at it in the cold light of day. And I think your, your Thrive Planner, which we'll put in the show notes, is exactly the same. You just got to write it down. And sometimes once it's written down, you're like, Oh my goodness, right. Now now I understand exactly what the problem is. And I think the same is true for money. You know, when was the last time that you looked at your bank statement with the same care and attention that you look at your patient's test results? Okay. You, you go go through your bank statement line by line and analyze each line and think, is this bringing me happiness? Do I need it? Um, so I think, you know, we all doctors have the skills that are needed to do this. It's just that we need someone like you to guide us. And yeah, I've got a whole page of notes here. Um so that was so great, Rachel. And I've got such a long list of uh, tips that I'm going to be working on myself personally. So if people have listened to this and they want to know more or learn more from you, or even have the opportunity to ask you some questions, how can they do that? Well, we've got a webinar coming up uh, on the 20th of January at 7.30 in the evening. Me and you are doing that together, aren't we? Which I'm really excited about. It's called Money or Your Life. And it's all about how you can use your finances to either help uh, your resilience and well-being, or sometimes it can actually hinder them. So we're going to be delving a bit more deeper into this concept of time, well-being and resilience. And actually, how, how does money interact with all of that? Yeah, I'm really excited to do that. We haven't done a webinar for so long. Um, so I'm really excited to be back doing webinars. So it's on the 20th of January at 7.30 and the link is in the show notes to sign up. So it's going to be super popular. So definitely sign up sooner rather than later. Yeah. And if you can't make it to the webinar, then do sign up anyway, because what we'll do is send you a link to the recording and be great to catch us live because you'll be able to ask lots of questions. We're going to make it very interactive. But if you want to watch the recording, then make sure you've signed up for that as well. And we'll also be telling you about a course which we're preparing right now, which is all about how to take control of your time, your workload, your life and work happier rather than work hard. And we've got a very special bonus course recorded with Tommy and Ed from Medics Money as well, all about how to improve your health with your finances or improve your financial health. Actually, that was, that's the title. Yeah. Uh, essentially, we're going to tell you how to uh, work less, but earn the same using good financial management. And uh, if that sounds really clickbaity, you definitely need to come along to the course because there's some really simple tricks, which I think, uh, Rachel, when we recorded it, you actually made a few notes yourself, like I've made notes today. So I'd be telling everybody about it. I, I recorded this course and guess what he said? So it's really, really worth uh, grabbing that. So yeah, so we'll, we'll let you know all the details about that. Love up. it. Perfect. Uh, well, I look forward to seeing you uh, on Thursday, the 20th of January, 7.30 in the webinar. Take care. Thanks, Tommy. See you then. Bye.